and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. You should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Look at verse 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares, who being before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, and denying the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Have a look at verse 22. The Bible says there, and some have what? What's that word? Compassion. Compassion. Let's say it together. Compassion. And some have Compassion. compassion. We're going to look at that this evening. Making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. It's very clear that Jude is actually instructing Christians, the saints of God, to contend earnestly for the faith. The faith is being under attack by false teachers and false professing uh, believers, if you will, carnal professing believers, turning the grace of, grace of God into lasciviousness. Um, you know, what we spoke about several weeks ago, making the grace of God um, or the character of God in, in his divine grace uh, almost a license to sin. Do what you want kind of thing. Salvation is free. You can live the way you want. You can even sin. It's okay. It's under the blood. You're justified by faith. People abusing the doctrines of grace. Now, do we have liberty in Christ? Absolutely. But we should never use it as an occasion for the flesh, but rather serving one another. Are we saved by grace? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean we go and sin, but rather it means we go and serve God. But these guys crept in unawares, turning the doctrine of grace into lasciviousness, cheap uh, you know, salvation, if you will. That this salvation doesn't bring about change. This salvation that doesn't bring about a new creature. This salvation that advocates for uh, you know, sinful lifestyles. That you can live in your sin, it's okay, you're saved. Uh, you can do what you want. You can go and live the way you want. You can uh, you know, simply uh, go and enjoy the pleasures of this world. That's what these creeps were creeping in and practically influencing the saints of God. And I say to you today that the saints of God are influenced by this. The flesh doesn't need much. We're already struggling. We're already struggling to live holy lives. We don't need these creeps to come and pamper the flesh and say, it's okay, it's all right. Now, this church in um, Warner's Bay says it's okay to be broken. Well, it's okay to be broken, but not to stay broken because of sin. God wants to save us and change us. That's the whole point of salvation is to change us, is to save us to what? Change us. And the problem with people is today they claim they have salvation, but there's no new creature in their life. Yeah. Nothing's taken place. We go out, we try to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ, and we try to compel them, the whole world, life and wickedness, and we try to give them some light, and you meet, lo and behold, some professing Christians that are amongst them thinking that they're okay. I was out there last week preaching to a group of people Halloween night and contending with them and trying to wrestle with them and try to help them understand, uh, you know, salvation. And there was a professing believer amongst them. 
And I can almost see that she was interested in what was said. And I said right at the end, I addressed my attention to her. I said, what about you? She said, what about me? I'm a Christian. My parents are pastors. I go to church every Sunday. I said, what are you doing out here? She said, well, what's wrong with that? I went, what do you mean what's wrong with that? What are you doing these God haters? What are, you doing, what are you doing these people that are undermining God? These God haters that are laughing and mocking of God. You're befriending people like this? And she looked at me and she left the group and she went crying. Earnestly contend. It's okay. This drunkard guy came up that was hanging around for a couple of hours. He said, oh man, I don't know what you said to her, but you upset her. And I said, no, nah, that's good, brother. I said it to who? One of the guys. I said, to you. Remember I said to you, see that lady? I said, she's gone. She's been affected. You know, sometimes we don't contend for the faith because we just make Christians, professing Christians, feel that they're okay because they hold the name Christian. That's sad. You know, today we see the whole world life and wickedness, but can I say something to you? Professing Christians and the church is lying in wickedness. You know how many candlesticks are put out? You know how many people that once were on fire and getting rid of things and throwing them out, put them in the fire, are now embracing things back? Bringing them back because these preachers are saying, it's okay. It's okay. These people over there, they're fundamentalists. They're, 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 they're too much. And the convictions that they once had through the Holy Spirit of God are thrown out in the bin now. They're embracing the things that they once left. They're turning back, going back to their vomit. Going back to idols. Games. People of God playing Nintendo. Watching filth on TV. Yeah, they're professing believers. You walk into the houses and you see that their room is no different than an unbeliever. We're contending earnestly for the faith because the faith that brings salvation teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. That's a Bible truth. But people want to sit on their blessed hope and claim to have a free gift. You can claim it, but how are you living? Are you living according to the will of God? Are you living according to the new creature? Is this grace changing your life? Is salvation leading into sanctification? Because James says, if it's not, what kind of faith do you have? It's dead, fruitless, produces nothing. But many Christians claim that they're saved by grace and they're going to heaven, but their life does not speak it. And what, what I'm going to say to you today is that we need to be contending with these Christians. And it's hard to. Because all of a sudden, here comes the judge. Here comes the judge. Who are you to judge me? Who, who are you to tell me? You know, and all of a sudden, listen, your life is challenged. Because you're trying to contend and you're trying to help someone and then God you know, simply works in your life and uses that person to say, who are you to judge? Take out the beam out of your own eye and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit says, yeah, take it out. Go home. Is there anything that you need to get rid of? Not justify. Amen. Yeah, go home. Amen. You know how many times I've contended with Christians I realize they've said something, what about this and what's wrong with this? And I realize, oh, 
I need to go home and get rid of that too. Not justify it and say, it's okay, we can do that because I'm doing it. Who's the standard? Christ, the Holy Word of God. They're the standard. This is the Word of God, the Holy Word of God, the living God. We follow after Him. We don't follow after each other's convictions and standards that are dumbed down because of the culture. That's what's taking place. Or Mr. So-and-so said, or this person said, over here, he makes it very clear, and some having compassion, making a difference. What's compassion? See, this is the thing. If we contend without compassion, we're done. One of our motivations for contending is our obedience to the Scripture. We want to contend because we want to love God and obey God. But another motivation that we should motivate us is compassion, which stems from love. Love in our hearts for people, pure love, the love of Christ. And so I want to speak to you about this. Compassion should be one of our motivating factors, uh, a motivating factor which simply will keep us contending. When the compassion is gone, when you have no love in your heart for people, the contending stops. I'm telling you right now. But what keeps you going and what keeps you fighting and wrestling with people and challenging people and preaching against sin and so forth is when the compassion is in your heart. And listen, people want to twist that and say, that's not compassion, that's judgmental. So you ease off and you say, oh no, I'm being judgmental. And you try to follow after these other ones that look pious and look loving and look nice. And you say, oh, look, at, we should do it that way. You know how many times we go on the street and they play us against each other? You know, you're hitting on sin and you're, you're finally getting something and you're plowing the ground. Oh, and they get upset with you and all of a sudden they come to another guy and the other guy is saying, oh, you know, Jesus loves you. You know, he's got a plan for your life. Oh, I like you better than him. <laughs> they love that message. They love, it's a beautiful thing, but when you hit on sin, when you plow the ground and that heart, that soil, so you can get ready for the gospel, man, it's hard work. It's hard work. Compassion makes a difference. Listen, compassion is having love in your heart for those people. It ought to drive us to action. That's what compassion is. Compassion drives us to action. It's to have mercy on people. And we're going to see that in a bit. But uh, when Jesus was traveling through Samaria... James and John, the sons of thunder, saw how the Samaritans didn't receive Jesus Christ. And uh, they said to Jesus, shall we rain down fire from heaven to consume them? And Jesus said to them, you know not what manner of spirit ye are of. He was trying to help them understand that I haven't come to destroy men's life. He came to give life. So compassion is not necessarily condemning people, it's correcting people. It's it's condemn, it's con, it's it's contending to correct so they can be absolutely restored. It's not condemnation. We have to understand that when we deliver the message, when we're trying to help people, it's for their deliverance. It's not for their destruction. So compassion is not mistaken with someone that is simply wanting to see someone fall, falter, destroy, condemned. Compassion is to contend so they can, we can see them delivered or restored or come back. Or get right with God. That's what compassion is all about. People condemn themselves by rejecting the correction. People condemn themselves by rejecting the light. People condemn themselves by 
you know, uh, just simply having a hard heart, stiff neck. They condemn themselves by rejecting the very thing that you're actually, you know, trying to help them with. And so Jude chapter 1 verse 22 very specifically says, and some have compassion. So compassion, let me just say this, number one moves to action. Compassion is not indifferent. It moves to action. The Bible says when the father saw the prodigal, he had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Compassion moves you. The Bible says when Jesus told the story about the prodigal, uh, not the prodigal, sorry, the Samaritan, the good Samaritan, the Bible says when he saw him, the one that was wounded, he had compassion on him. And you know, compassion acts. It helps meet the need. And we know the story of the good Samaritan. And when Jesus helped and healed people, by the Bible, states several times, we see that he was moved to action. He saw the way people uh, came to him, they said, Please have compassion. Please have mercy. That's what compassion is. It's to have mercy. Have a look, if you will, Mark chapter 1. Chapter 1, look at verse 40. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with what? Compassion, put forth his hand, touched him, and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. Jesus was moved. To meet the need of the leper. Have a look at chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 18. Jesus cast out uh, devils out of this man. We know in verse 18, the man wanted to follow him. In verse 18, and when he was coming to a ship, he that had been possessed with devils prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home, tell thy friends. And tell them, he says, go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had what? Compassion on thee. See, go, go home and tell them how the Lord has been good to you and has had compassion on you. Have a look at Mark 8, verses 1 and 2. In those days, the multitude being very great, having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and saith unto him, I have Compassion on the multitude, because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for divers of them came from far. So we see compassion moves to meet the need. It's action. And if we're going to have compassion, it has to move us to action. It's not indifferent. It's not stale or stagnant. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't say, oh, poor thing, look what these people are going through. Oh, poor thing, look at that, this person's deceived. Or look at this person, I can't believe, uh, you know, they're, they're affiliated with uh, the charismatic movement or this or this or this or whatever. Compassion moves to action. You see someone that's not saved, you go and you move to action to go and seek that person with a gospel church. You can't be indifferent. Compassion moves you to go out there to witness. Compassion moves you to go and witness to people. It's not indifferent. It's the love of God in your heart that ought to move you. Nothing else. Some people are moved by works. Some people are moved by guilt. Some people are moved by fear. People go out. They sow in. They knock on doors. They're, they're doing it for some sort of motivation and reason. And the greatest motivation is our love for God and the love in our heart that God gives us to move to action. If that dwindles, I'm telling you right now, 
your, your testimony, your witness will dwindle. It's not going to last. It's hit and miss. It's not going to, because it's not moved by the right substance, by the love of God in your heart for people, to see them the way God saw them. You know, and this is what we have, to have the eyes of Christ and see people the way God sees them. Poor, wretched, in need of Christ. People that are hurt because of false teachings and false doctrines and so forth. We ought to see, move, and meet the need. Have a look at Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Look at verse 35. I think this is one of my favorite passages <clears throat> regarding the way we see the Lord have this compassion in his heart and Jesus, verse 35, went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogue. He was about the villages and uh, cities. He went about, the life of Christ was about going about people. He always went about. And the times that he didn't go about, you see him go and, uh, you know, uh, visiting with those disciples, teaching those disciples and going away to be with the Father, alone with God the Father. But for the most part, he was out and he was uh, simply amongst the people. It's very difficult to have compassion in your heart and not be around people. And have a look at what he says in verse 36. Uh, uh, verse 36. But when he was... When he saw the multitudes, he was what? Moved. When he saw the multitudes, he was what? Moved. You know, I'm telling you now, you know what? The reason why our heart is not moved is because we do not see people the way Jesus sees people. We need to see people the way the Lord Jesus sees people, not the way we see people. We get our feelings hurt quickly. We give up on people quickly. We, we are discouraged quickly. No fruit, we're discouraged, what for? And we just don't do anything. Have a look, he, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. So there was two things that he saw. He saw their condition and he saw their need. He saw that they fainted because perhaps they didn't have any food or they, the Pharisees had laid upon them heavy burdens. They needed a shepherd. They needed a laborer. They needed someone, listen, to guide them into the right way. They needed someone to, ride them, to guide them into the truth. Shepherds, laborers. You know what a laborer is? Hard working. A laborer is someone that labors in the life of people. And you, you're probably not being a, a shepherd or a pastor, but you can learn a principle here and investing in, your, uh, in people's lives, in your family, in your friends and your work friends and, and so forth. You can spend your life seeking people to witness to them, to help them, help them see their need. And I know there's only a limited opportunity around the workplace and so forth, but this is why it's good to go out. You meet people. You, you're so sensitive. You're not always in a hurry about what you want to do. You see a soul for what they are and you meet their need. You're always so conscious. Jesus was always so conscious. He wasn't too busy 
with his endeavors. His endeavor was to come and seek and save that which was lost. People weren't a number. People were souls that he was trying to meet the need. And he wants laborers to follow after him. People that will have a heart like the Lord Jesus Christ. Moved with compassion. Meets the need. And in this, in this context, what, we, what, what are we talking about when we're looking at the book of Jude? Meeting the need of those that have been affected by false doctrine. False teaching. You know why, again, I'll say it again. You know why people are soft on sin? Because they've been soft on sin in their own lives. And so therefore they're soft on sin. We should never be on soft on sin. Amen. We should be, you know, simply hating sin, hating false teachers, hating false doctrine, hating the works of iniquity, hating these things, not accepting them. Hating. God hates these things. They're an abomination. They damn people's soul to hell. You're influenced by this Christendom that is soft on sin. And that's what the, that's what the whole purpose is. Soft on sin. This greasy grace. Soft on sin. But if you hate sin in your own life and you hate sin the way God hates it, then you'll, you'll meet the need of people. You won't be afraid to address it in people's life when the good attitude and the good spirit... People just wink at sin. They wink at it. And the reason why they wink at it is because they perhaps got sin in their own life. You say, aren't we supposed to be patient with people? Absolutely. But being patient with people doesn't mean that we're soft on sin. Amen. Doesn't mean we're soft on sin. Patience with people is different. But it's the sin that's killing people. Can you see people dying, poisoned, and watch that and be okay with it? I can't. Not when God has a hold of my heart. But when I'm not walking right with the Lord, and I have some infection in my own heart, and things in my own heart, then I just, yeah, it's okay. We, I mean, we all struggle. Yes, we do. Isn't that a truth? We all struggle. We all struggle. But struggling with issues doesn't mean we should be soft on sin. Compassion that makes a difference is to meet the need of a person. And to meet the need is to expose the sinful behavior of false teachers and the influence that they're causing in the heart of Christendom. Christendom is a mess because of the false teaching that's permeating in the house of God. Hollywood watching preachers. Yeah. And we're okay with that. When should we be okay with that? Never. Not in our own life, not in anybody's life. Yeah. Uh, youth leaders struggling with pornography. When should we be okay with that? Never. And we, we, we wonder why Christendom is crippled and there's no power. We wonder why. We wonder why. How do we have compassion? We meet the need of some people. Now, there are some people that are absolutely wanting to know the truth. 
but they can be deceived. They're just deceived. Matthew Henry said, we must distinguish between the weak and the willful. Of some we must have compassion, treat them with all tenderness, restore them in the spirit of meekness, not being needlessly harsh or severe in our censures of them and their actions, nor proud or haughty in our conduct toward them. In meekness, restoring them, they want to know. You don't have to struggle with someone that wants to know. You don't, want to, you don't have to struggle with someone that loves truth. You just tell them, brother, this is not good. Oh, I didn't know that. Hey, wow, thank you for telling me. That's a beautiful spirit. But they've just been affected by the culture of Christendom, which is swooping out in our, our, our nation with a bad, distasteful, uh, greasy grace. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a greasy grace preacher. But people are affected by it, and they swallow it, and, the, and then you bring it to their attention, they say, oh. And they respond so quickly and so sweetly. Do they struggle? Absolutely. We're not talking about people struggling. But they don't justify their sin. Amen. No justification for sin. In no way. These people have compassion. You'll make a difference. Speak to them. Don't let them go because these people want to know. They want to know. I wanted to know. Only if someone told me that music was rubbish. Only if someone told me that that was no good. I had standards that would confuse me to no end. But when someone told me, I thought, wow. Praise God someone told me. And then I'll struggle with it. Because it was a bad habit. And I loved it. But I'll struggle with it. And I knew it was wrong. And I knew it was shameful. But you'd struggle with it. It's okay. You struggle with things. No problem. But don't justify sin. Don't justify wickedness. Don't say it's... You say, why do you speak a lot about Hollywood? Because when you let Hollywood in your home, that's your teacher. And that conflicts with the way of God. It zaps you of your power and your mind. You fill your mind with rubbish. Garbage in, garbage out. And can I just say this? You don't have to go too far to get a Hollywood movie. You can go on YouTube. And there's a lot of stuff on YouTube that is absolutely disgusting to no end. What's taking place? The Spirit of God is grieved. You get numb. You say, it's okay. You have no power. You don't, how, how can you read the Word of God in peace when you're watching filth? You can't. How, how's feeding on rubbish uh, simply edifying your spirit? It doesn't. So over time, you become numb and you think it's okay because you go and you worship God and you sing and you go through the motion of Christianity. This is not good. And then it says, others say with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Matthew Henry says this, urging upon them the terrors of the Lord. He says, endeavoring to frighten them out of their sin, preach hell and damnation to them. And I think the Apostle Paul says it best, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. There's a hell coming, my friend. You want to sit down and have popcorn and watch filth? There's a hell coming. And it's open wide. Its mouth is open. You want to go and watch pornography and watch filth? You want to go out with people that deny the Lord? You want to go and justify your sin? It's not going to happen. Not in the eyes of God. He's going to deal with it. There are people that don't care. There are Christians that don't care. 
You confront them about a biblical truth and they're indifferent. They don't care. Why? Because they've been infected by the greasy grace. Because the greasy grace doesn't lead you to holiness. The greasy grace leads you to the Laodicean church that makes God sick and leaves God out of the doors. That's the greasy grace. It's not good. That's what's taking place today. It's happening in our day. We're in these perilous times. People have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof because they're wrapped up in themselves, even in ministry. They use the work of God to make a dollar, to build an empire. They use the sinner's prayer to bring him in and coerce him and manipulate him to control them, producing what? Mm. You need to, some pulling them out of the fire. What's that? Preaching, confronting, contending. We see it through and through. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.4, he says, For our, out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. You look at 1 Corinthians, my friends. 1 Corinthians and you see what a weighty letter. Truth after truth. Correction after correction. Yes, rebuke after rebuke. But his heart was grieving in sorrow, full of compassion for them. He says, for out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears. Can you, I can just imagine under the influence of the Holy Spirit, him writing that letter. For what purpose? For their own good, for their own restoration. And it's hard to tell people the truth. It's hard to confront somebody. It's hard to go and tell somebody, hey, you're not really living the way you ought to. It's hard. When the Holy Spirit of God convicts us, it's hard. We choke. We say, oh God, oh, it's hard. We wrestle. We hear preaching and we wrestle and we fight and we buck. It's hard. The wisdom, the wisdom of God says in Proverbs chapter 27, have a look. Have a look at what the Bible says in Proverbs 27. Let me just say this to you. Not only Hollywood movies and bad stuff on YouTube affect us, but can I ask you, can I just say this to you? Hey, I'm just saying this even out of my own life. You know, bad Christian movies affect us. If you, if you watch some of these Christian movies, you, you say, how is this Christian? You think, oh no, he used God's name in vain. A Christian movie. And then you can meet another Christian and say, oh, that was a wonderful movie. Have you seen this movie? Thinking, oh, there's something wrong. Now, I know there's a potential growth in someone's life. I know I embraced some Christian movies at a young age that wasn't no good. Like, and now, I thought, I'll throw them in the bin. I don't recommend them at all. I used to hand them out. I, I know there's a potential of growth there. I understand it. But that's the whole point of contending with somebody and loving somebody with compassion to say, I wish someone told me back then that's not a good movie, here's why. Amen. I'm not justifying that it's okay to watch bad movies and later on it's, you know. I'm just saying there was a work of grace done in my life and I wish someone told me back then that's not a good movie to watch. 
You say, what's wrong with telling someone that's not a good movie to watch? That's, it's, it's protecting them. It's keeping them from the subtle messages that are in these movies. Have a look at uh, uh, Proverbs 27. Look at verse 5. Open rebuke is better than what? Secret love. Faithful are the wombs of a friend, but the kisses of the enemy are what? Okay, you know what the most deceitful thing that you can ever do? Let me just say this. Is, I want to say this very clear. When you are talking with people that are Christians and you're fellowshipping with, with them and you know that there's a serious problem or they're, you know, you know, it's serious. It's not, we're not talking about people going through struggles and growing and so forth. Don't, don't you know, try to you know, get this wrong. But people that are affected by the charismatic movement, people that are struggling, people that have been influenced, people that are just need help biblically and you don't tell them anything. You fellowship with them and you make out they're okay when they're not. That's the worst thing they can ever do. That's, listen, brethren, that's not compassion. You know what's that? Fake peace. To keep the friendship alive. That's not compassion. And we're talking about a serious problem. We're not, again, we're not talking about things that people struggle with. Paul wanted the Corinthians to know his motive in which, why he wrote that letter and it was out of a broken heart for them. At one particular point, he thought he was too hard on them. But then he saw their repentance and he thanked God that he was, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, firm with them and confronted them because it produced fruit of repentance. It was a blessing. And in 2 Corinthians, he said, the more I love you, the less I want be loved. Why? Because I tell you the truth. Why? Because I keep correcting you. Why? Because I'm trying to help you and guide you. It's one of the hardest things. I don't think anybody thrives in correcting or exposing someone. I think it's one of the hardest things to do. But it's the most needful thing. Jude is helping us, having compassion by telling us about these creeps. And if you look at the description, very vivid. I mean, you look at the description of these creeps and you think, wow, that's a weighty description about these creeps. I mean, they're creeps. They're wolves in sheep clothing. They're deceitful workers. They're false teachers. They're people that just undermine the work of God. And it's absolutely coming into the church. It's coming in rapidly. People are embracing it. I think one of the greatest examples that I see is like we saw uh, recently, is Jeremiah. If you want to turn there, Jeremiah, born a prophet, appointed prophet by God, Jeremiah 4. Compassion doesn't make people think that they're okay when they're not. It doesn't. Greasy grace teaches, hey, that you're okay. It's okay to be broken. And it's okay to stay broken. It's okay to be depressed. It's okay if you've got these uh, things in your life. It's okay. And it stops there. It stops there. It doesn't help them recover. It doesn't help them simply grow and trust the Lord in areas that they should be trusting the Lord. It just it allows them to be okay in their sin and it's in their struggle. It justifies where they're at. It's okay. No problem. We all struggle with it. 
It's okay to struggle with pornography. We all struggle with it. No, it's not okay to not get the victory over it. It's poison. The commercials on, your, on, on, on YouTube, you're inundated everywhere, out there, everywhere. Listen, it's, it's, it's killing our society. The, the devil knows what he's doing. It's luring people. Men, you ought to just absolutely say, I'm not going to be a part of that. I'm not going to click on that. You know, I'm telling you, if you're accustomed to clicking on filth, men or women, just get rid of your phone if you have to get a flip phone. I'm telling you right now. Kick it, kick it, kick it to the curb. You don't need a smartphone if you're struggling with that filth. It's killing you. But people are so numb, they can't feel anything. They just... And just watch like it's nothing. It doesn't do anything. It's like, oh, yuck, it's abomination. It doesn't. They're desensitized. They're desensitized. They see it now and it's like nothing because it's all over the shop and it's in the churches. We ought to say this is an abomination. This is filth. Our kids ought to know that this is disgusting. When they see naked people on the street. Oh, not to think that's normal. That's not normal. Just because there's a little water on the street uh, next to a beach and there's water doesn't mean that you can take your clothes off. Christians go, sit on beaches, sunbaking, saying a prayer before they go into the water. God protect us from the sharks. Yeah. So what are you talking about? I used to be one of them. Yeah. We used to fast and pray at the beach. Yeah. You carnal Christian. God meets you where you're at. There's no problem with that. I wish someone told us, what are you doing here, Christians? I, miss, I wish I met someone like Buddy on the str- at the beach. What are, you, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? I'm just, <laughs> I'm just handing out tracts. I'm handing out tracts. That's what I'm doing. You know, there's special grace for people that go into Sodom to get those people. There's special grace given. I believe that with all my heart. Jesus approached a Samaritan woman that loved men. He approached her, had mercy upon her. God can give us grace to approach people with the gospel. But if you don't and you can't, flee, run. Don't put yourself in that predicament. Ladies, you should never be Trying to witness to a man. Men, mate, just, they're just ungodly men want one thing in their mind. I'm telling you. Don't put yourself in that predicament. Grab someone and say, hey, can you preach to this person? Can you witness to this person? Don't spend a lot of time witnessing to men. Give them a track and run. Yeah, I'm, I'm being serious. Same thing with men. Men, don't spend. If you can't, you know, simply control yourself... And you're going to just simply be swayed by the strange woman. Don't, don't put yourself in that predicament. Amen. Don't put yourself in that predicament. Stay pure. God, God knows how to reach people. There's no problem with that. There's not, no problem with that at all. But Jeremiah, what a prophet. I mean, addressing the sins of God's people. I want you to see the compassion that he had upon these people. God gave him that compassion. There's no doubt about that. He was an appointed prophet by God to help God's people to see their need. That's compassion. 
Compassion is to help people see their need. Have a look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. Chapter 4, look at verse 4. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskin of your what? Heart. You know what God is looking for? God is looking for a heart that's circumcised, not outward circumcision. He's looking for a heart that's changed, not someone that looks the part. Someone that is the part, someone that has a heart for God, someone that's heart is fixed on God like King David, having a heart for God. The children of Israel didn't have a heart for God. Have a look at verse 22. For my people is foolish. They have not known me. They have not known me. They're sottish. They're foolish children. Silly. They have, not, they have none understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good, they have no knowledge. They know how to do evil. They're wise to do evil, but to do good, there's no knowledge. Why? They don't know me. They don't have understanding. They don't know what I love. They don't know what I hate. If you knew God's holiness and God's character, you'll understand what God requires. Have a look at verse uh, five, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Look at... Run ye to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem and see now and know and seek the broad places thereof if you can find a man. If there be any that executeth judgment that seeketh the truth and I will pardon it. One person in Jerusalem, not one. There was a few in Sodom. There were a few just people there that God delivered but still destroyed Sodom but not one in Jerusalem that loves truth that has understanding, that knows what God is looking, what, what, what God desires. Have a look in verse 2. And though they say the Lord liveth, surely they swear falsely. Hey, they know the lingo. They know how to talk the talk. They swear by God's name. They might even say, yes, thank God. Bless you. Look at verse 3. O Lord, are not thy eyes upon the truth? Thou hast stricken them, but they have not grieved. Thou hast consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They've made their faces harder than a rock. They have refused to return. Why? Why despise correction? Why harden your neck? Why is your face hard to the preaching of the word of God. Why? Look at verse 4. Therefore I say, surely these are poor. They are foolish, for they know not the way of the Lord, nor the judgment of their God. Who in the Old Testament, what church was in poverty? Laodicean church. Poor and wretched. Poor, we're talking about a church of God that was poor and wretched because they did not, what? Hearken to God's counsel. That's what happens. I mean, look at the church at Corinth. Can you believe that someone can actually live like that as a Christian? Look what, they, look what they've committed. And to refuse instruction and have your face hard as a, as a rock and not respond to the word of God is to, is to be poor. And have a look at chapter 6. Oh, sorry. Have a look at uh, 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 
verse 12, verse 12 in chapter 5. They have belied the Lord and said, It is not he, neither shall evil come upon us, neither shall we see sword or famine. Now these people are just deluded and in denial. They're thinking that judgment's not going to come upon them. They're not going to be dealt with. I mean, we're talking about people that think they're going to escape sin. <coughs> Listen, you're not going to escape sin. God gives you room to repent, but if you continue to be hard-hearted, and if you're God's people, he will chasten you, and he will correct you, and for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. You say, oh, God's not going to, no, I'll be okay. I mean, God's let me do it that far. Look how long God's been patient with me and long-suffering. Look, and he'll continue to be. And we fall for the trap. No, don't fall for the trap. God will deal even with his own people. God will deal with us if we're just hardened, though we're in denial. Look how they treated the prophets. Look at the preachers. Look at the next verse. Verse 13. And the prophets shall become wind, and the word is not in them. Thus shall it be done unto them. The prophets of God shall become wind. They're just all talk. Talk, 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 full of wind. As a matter of fact, what they're prophesying, that's what's going to happen to them. Can you actually, wow, brazen. That's brazen. Have a look at the next verse. Verse 22. Fear ye not me, saith the Lord. Will ye not tremble at my presence, which have placed the sand for the, bounds of the uh, bound of the sea by a perpetual decree that it cannot pass and though the waves thereof are tossed themselves yet, yet can they not prevail though they roar yet can they not pass over but this people have a revolting and rebellious heart they are revolted and gone don't you fear God don't you fear the Lord your heart you're just rebellious you, you're not, you don't respond to correction. You don't respond to instruction. There's no change. You don't do anything. I mean, what do you do with the people that don't care about preaching and don't care about, uh, you know, uh, uh, preaching the word of God? What do you do? Preach the word. You be instant, in season, out of season. Preach. Rebuke, uh, rebuke reproof, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine for a time will come and we're in that time where will they not endure sound doctrine. They, they, they don't want it. We're in that time, brethren. The word of God is like a smorgasbord. Pick and choose what, what you want to do, what makes you feel good and jump over those things that are just hard to receive. Have a look at uh, chapter 6. Oh, sorry, verse 31. I keep going, chapter 6. But verse 31 puts the wicked icing on the cake. I mean, look how wicked this is. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means, and my people love to have it so, and what will ye do in the end thereof? So the greasy grace preachers are prophesying. Tell them, one hand, the prophets are preaching, saying this is not acceptable to God. These other ones are saying, it's okay, don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. They're just too much. They don't know what they're talking about. They're full of wind. And they love it. You say, why? We're going to get there in a moment. Because they love their sin. That's why. They love their sin. 
you got the preachers pounding and preaching and preaching their heart out and saying, repent and turn from your wicked ways. And saying, ah, oh, it's okay. These guys don't know what they're talking about. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And they love it. They love your sugar-coated messages. They love preachers that undermine your sin. May God help us that we don't, we're not one of these people. Look at chapter 6. Look at verse 10. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised and they cannot hearken because the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. and They have no delight in it. Their ear is uncircumcised, let alone their heart. It's not even going through their ear to hit their heart. Their ear is uncircumcised. They don't even want to hear it. Why? Because the word of God, it cramps their style. It's a reproach to them. They despise it. It's not a delight. Look at verse 13. For from the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even unto the priest, everyone dealeth falsely. They're covetous. They have an evil eye. Their eye is not single. And they deal falsely. They don't deal with uh, understanding heart. They deal falsely. That's not good. Deceitfully. Look at verse 14. They have healed also the hurt of the daughters of my people, slightly saying, peace, peace. There is no peace. It's fake. It's a phony. It's a lie. Peace, peace. We're in. There is no peace. Look at verse 15. Were they ashamed when they have committed an abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore they shall fall among them that fall at the time that I visit them. They shall be cast down, saith the Lord. Listen, when they sin, they don't care. They don't even, they're not embarrassed. They flaunt it. You know, brethren, some things that I do, I'm ashamed. I would not dare post that up on Facebook. I dare not to, you know, parade it around. I'm ashamed of that. There are people who are not ashamed. They're not ashamed of their idols. They're not ashamed to go out and parade themselves with all these different ungodly things. As a matter of fact, they think they're okay. They think it's okay. And they contend with the preacher that's trying to say, hey, this is ungodly. This is idolatry. This doesn't glorify God. And they contend with those ones. I want to say, what's wrong with it? No, what's right with it? When you see the way of Christendom in the first century in the book of Acts and you live there, you'll understand that the things of this life is meaningless and will come to naught one day. It was an action-packed book. I mean, it is a design for us to follow and see the way they lived, the acts of uh, Christ, also the way he lived. We're trying to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, not go backwards. We want to go forward and upward. Have a look at verse 16. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way and walk therein and ye shall find rest for your souls. But look at this. But they said, will, we will not walk therein. Oh, can you imagine Jeremiah this time contending, contending and wrestling and pleading? Oh, that would have been so difficult, so hard. 
Have a look at uh, verse 17. Look at this. Also I set a watchman over you, a prophet, saying, hearken to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not hearken. You know, a trumpet is blown to warn people. Hey, to warn them from what? Danger. To warn them from the impending judgment to come. Listen, if you don't turn, you don't amend your ways, judgment's coming. We're not going to hearken. Blow as much as you want. Pound as much as you want. Listen, if the word of God is not going to move you, then there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do. You can sit hard, stone face, hard in your heart and not even get rid of junk or rubbish or anything that the greasy grace Christianity approves in your life. And you, get, you can just say, oh, it's okay. I'm going to justify my living to the day I die. And you do nothing. No change in your life. No excelling. Because you just don't want to hearken. You just close your ears. He says in verse 20, to what purpose, look at this, this is just bizarre. To what purpose cometh thee to me? Incense from Sheba and the sweet cane from a far country. Your burnt offerings are not acceptable. Your sacrifices sweet unto me. No, they're not acceptable. I don't accept them. What purpose are you coming to sacrifice to me? What purpose? Why do you even bother? Listen, what, if you want to go live the life of the adulterer and adultery and covetousness and lies and deceit, why do you even bother coming to sing praises? A sacrifice to God? What purpose? I, that's one thing I could not understand. You want your lust? Go have it. But why do you want God in your life? Don't deceive yourself. You can't serve two masters. All the way from the beginning to the end we see you can't serve two masters. All the way from Moses all the way to Christ and all the way now in the epistles and all the way to Revelation we see there's two types of Christians or professing believers. Those that love God and those that didn't. They love themselves. Lovers of pleasures more than... Who's on the Lord's side? Come here. You want to worship Baal? Worship him. If he be your God, then go for it. But if God be your God, worship him. Hey, I'm going to let you know. For me and my house, we were, we're going to serve the Lord. It's not a cliche and a writing on the wall. It ought to be a reality in our life. And worshipping and worshipping and serving God is not a Sunday thing. It's ah, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Want to go and live like the devil Monday to Saturday and go and dance on, on Sunday and praise the Lord and go watch the footy and go, yeah, oh, and go and, and go, oh, here, here it is, the football. Oh, the football, what's so good about the football? Idolatry, TAB, gambling, cheerleaders. I mean, how far do you want to go to see that's idolatry and against God? How far do you want to even go? That ought to be a no-brainer for some people that can't see it because they've got other junk in their life. They can't see because they're blinded by other things. They're not willing to let go. For all their life they say, what's wrong with it? It's too much. Well, say it to the day you die and do nothing for God. Well, what, 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 what for this incense? What for this? What, do you think God needs our money? He wants our heart. He wants every part of us. 
He wants us to surrender to every bit, every living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Messages like this make people harder and say, Christianity. Well, yes, to your own hurt and destruction. Living sacrifice. I'm a dead man walking in the will of God to serve him, not to live a double life. That junk, that filth needs to get away. I mean, I can't worship God and watch filth. I can't do that. Look at chapter 7. Chapter 7. Look at verse 3 to 6. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, of God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Amend them. Amend them. That, that was the call to Israel. Now call for the church. Repent. Amend your ways. To whom, I, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Amend. Turn. We've got time. Hey, it's allowed to see an age. It's a bad age, but we don't have to be a statistic. Amend your ways. And your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Trust ye not in lying words, saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If, for if ye thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if ye thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if ye oppress not the stranger, the fathers and the widows, and shed not innocent blood in this place, neither walk after other gods to your hurt, then will I cause you to dwell in this place. Blessings come when we obey God. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. There's no other way. Look at verse 8. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Listening to the false prophets and the false teachers of the day that help you live in your sin and uh, justify your doings is not going to do you any good. Verse 23 to 24. Look at this. But this thing command I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. And walk ye in the ways that I have commanded you, that ye may dwell, that, ye, that it may be well unto you. But they hearken not, nor incline their ears, but walked in their counsel, in the imagination of uh, their evil heart, and went backward, and not what? Forward. I went backward and not forward. Look at chapter 8, verse 5. Why then is this people of Jerusalem slidden back by perpetual backsliding? They hold fast deceit. They refuse to what? Return. Perpetual. They weren't going forward. They even weren't stagnant. They were just going back and back and back. And the preaching and the reproof and the prophet sounding the trumpet caused them to harden their face even more. And they went back even more, back even more, and back even more. Instead of the word of God helping them, it was a reproach unto them. We should never despise preaching like this. This is, what, this is the very thing that helped me be where I am by the grace of God. And the moment you despise it, it's to your own hurt. And the reason why we sit and we're struggling and so forth because something's happening in our hearts. And if the preacher didn't step on our toes by good preaching, then we'll be okay. But when then something happens, we're like, oh, 
Yes, there's a struggle. I think it was Nathan Shirley that said, you know, if you have, the, if you have your foot in the wrong place, and if, you, if, if God steps on your foot, then it's in the wrong place. Isn't that right? You said that, and it's true. If God steps on your toes, maybe you got it in the wrong place. Amen? Just put it back. Amen? Yeah, just go back. Amend your ways. Listen and hearken and do the very thing that God's called you to do. Mend your ways. Look at chapter 9. Almost finished. Chapter 9. Look at verse 3 to 6. And they bend their tongues like their, like their bow for lies, but they are not valiant for the truth upon the earth. For they proceed from evil to evil, and they know not me, saith the Lord. Take heed every one of this of his neighbor, and trust ye not in any brother, for every brother will utterly supplant, and his neighbor will walk with slanders, and they will deceive everyone his neighbor, and will not speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies, and weary themselves to commit iniquity. Look at verse 6. Thine habitation is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit they refuse to know me, saith the Lord. Because of lies and deception and deceit and not walking in the way of truth and believing these lies, they continue to walk away from the truth. Almost done. Look at verse 23. And we're done with Jeremiah. Look at this. Don't miss this. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his what? Wisdom. Neither let the mighty man glory in his what? Might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But notice what he wants you to glory in. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. What? Glory in this that he understands and knows me. This is the very thing that God wants every Christian to come to. And he wants this to be executed in our life. Not in our wisdom. Not in our might. Not in our possessions. But that we know the heart of God. And we know the will of God. And to know the heart of God and the will of God is to walk in his ways and be, if, as it were, a prophet Jeremiah. Yeah, what's wrong with that in our days today? To be someone that loves truth. Someone that stands with God. They, someone looks at, oh, you're brazen, you've got it perfect. You're no, you don't. No, but you ought to walk in a way that pleases God. Because that's, that's uh, listen, this is one of the biggest things of a false prophet, greasy grace teach, false prophet. You got it right, don't you? You got it right. They make you feel bad for walking with the Lord. I'm not going to feel bad. I'm not going to feel bad because I know the heart of God. I'm not going to feel bad because I have a walk with God. I'm not going to feel bad because I love righteousness. I'm not going to feel bad because I hate wickedness. I'm not going to feel bad. I'm going to fight the good fight. I'm going to contend for the faith. I'm going to live this Bible. Yeah. You can go and say all you want because that's one of the tricks. Of the devil. Yeah. You've got it all together, don't you? No, I don't. God's helping me get it together. 
And you need to get it together. And we all need to get it together. Praise God. Yeah. The Apostle Paul says, I haven't apprehended. I haven't arrived. But I press toward the mark. Yeah, I press. I'm moving forward. I'm not going backwards. Praise God for that. You know what's going to help us do it? Let's go back to our main passage, Jude. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Compassion arises from the mercy of God that affects our heart. Looking unto his mercy. When we walk with God and we keep ourselves in his love, he fills our hearts with compassion. And that's what keeps us going. That's what keeps us going. The moment we don't walk with God and keep our eyes in this book, our noses in this book, and we veer away and we're not having a vibrant walk, looking unto Jesus, we're finished. We're finished. But when we walk with God, we keep ourselves in the love of God. We guard against disobeying God. We guard against grieving the Spirit. Because the Bible says, build yourself up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Spirit-led people grow. They're soul-sensitive because they're spirit-led. They pray for people. They're praying for people. They intercede for people. They pray for people that are struggling. They pray, God, help, my, help me. They're, they're not indifferent. They want to live holy lives. They want to build themselves up on, in the faith of God. No, the faith is not just salvation. For a Christian, it's more, it's sanctification and growing. We ought to grow, every one of us. But we're not going to grow if we don't keep ourselves in the love of God. God gives us mercy, we show mercy. It's by His mercy that we're not consumed. Even Jeremiah got this. Have a look at Lamentations chapter 3. Look at verse 32. <coughs> the weeping prophet. But though he cause grief, yet he will have what? Compassion according to the multitudes of his mercy. You know, God, the whole reason of sending Jeremiah to contend with his people is to restore them, not to condemn them. That was, that was not his purpose. Contending is showing, true contending is showing mercy. Yeah. It's God's heart to get right, to amend your ways and walk according to the word. Have a look at uh, verse 39. 49. My eye trickleth down and ceaseth, ceaseth not without any intermission. A weeping prophet crying for people, for people that opposed him, people that didn't like him, didn't like his message ridiculed him but he was crying for them why look let's just keep reading till till the lord looked down and behold from heaven my eye look at this mine eye what did it do affecteth my heart because of all the daughters of the city i looked and i saw and the condition of god's people broke my heart and that's what it should do not a heart of condemnation and look, we're better like Pharisees. No. A heart that says, oh, these people have turned. They've gone away. My heart is hurting. It's crying and weeping. This is compassion. 
and you cry and you weep for your loved ones and you cry and you plead, the perhaps don't see your tears and they misjudge your compassion or your contending for condemnation. And God knows if you're contending by condemnation. We ought not to. We ought to always condemn, con, uh, con, contend by compassion, not condemnation. I said by, I'll tell you why, because it takes compassion to move us to contend. But with that, we need to contend with compassion. Compassion ought to move us to contend, but while we're contending, we ought to maintain a heart of compassion because it can just really, honestly, take a toll. And we can just have a Moses moment. You know what I'm saying? And we don't want Moses moments when we're trying to help people get right. I'm sick of these rebels! No. God's Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem. He wept over Jerusalem. You killeth the prophets. Hey, these guys were brazen, stoning them, and yet God still wept over them. <laughs> Listen, if you don't have the heart of God, you're not going to go out and do it. You do it your way, and your way won't work. I'll tell you, your way won't work. God's ways worked. God way, God's way is hard, and it's misunderstood. But this is the way God wants us to contend. No one enjoys this part of the Christian life. But it must be done because we have a heart full of love from God that moves us to action and meets the need of those that are perishing. Christians that are caught up in the filth of this greasy grace, Christianity, and those people that are just lost and have a bad example of Christianity. We need to contend with both. But listen, you can't contend if you're not where God wants you to be. If you're not building yourself up in the most holy faith, maybe you need to be contended with. Maybe God needs to send someone to you. May my God help us. May God help us make sure that we're walking and keeping ourselves in the love of God, looking Unto the mercy of God. Unto how long? For how long? Unto eternal life. May God help every single one of us.